Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Tong Don Jin. Tong Don is an associate professor at the Ingram School of Engineering at Texas State University. He obtained his PhD in industrial engineering and an MS in electrical and computer engineering from Rutgers University. In addition, he has industry experience as a reliability engineer at Teradyne. Tong Dong's interests focus on reliability modeling and optimization with applications in manufacturing, energy, and supply chains. He's authored and co-authored dozens of papers published in various journals, including IEEE Transactions on Reliability and Reliability Engineering and Systems Safety. His research is sponsored by the NSF, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and the U.S. Department of Education. Tong Don, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Tim. Uh, thank you for Fred. I, it's my great pleasure to be here to uh, join this uh, interesting uh, forum. Thank you very much. Tong Don, you've been very active both in the academic world of reliability and the practical world of reliability. It often seems that these two worlds have a hard time communicating with each other. Do you have any recommendations about how to close this gap? Oh, uh, Tim, this actually is a very interesting uh, question, and it has been puzzled for uh, both academia and the industry for maybe many, many years. And today, um, I would like to, like to share some of my experience uh, working in both a world, and hopefully we can create some, you know, uh, possibility to close the gap. But it's very hard, I, I believe. Okay, uh -huh. so uh -huh. let me turn to yeah, let me turn to the slide. Okay, so I summarize a couple of uh, features uh, coming from two worlds. Uh, let me yeah. just highlight. In the academia world, uh, people usually emphasize the theoretical development of the reliability. And on the industry world, the more focus is on applications. So yeah. for example, um, I can give you uh, here's a very interesting example. Uh, in Industries, the most widely used metric we measure the product reliability called MTBF, mean time mm -hmm. Right. And the, the very yeah, and the very popular mathematical model is exponential distributions. Yes. While while in academia, we prefer like variable distributions, log normal mm -hmm. distribution. The reason because. Weibull and the logonormity is really able to give you give us more complicated mathematical formulas. Uh, and quite often, the reviewer would like to see more mathematical expression instead of a yeah. simple matrix, which is MTDF. Interesting. Yeah, so this is a, it's a big discrepancy. And another very interesting observation I've seen is in industry, we would like to use Excel, for example, which can be easily communicated from the bottom, from the low-level, uh, let's say, uh, design to the upper-level management. While in academia, people probably just use Excel to a very simple calculation, but when you come up to complicated uh, solutions, you want to use the simulations, like a, even a, a more advanced software like a MATLAB. Mm -hmm. 
to solve right. the problem. Yes. So this is another difference. Um, in terms of come up with the value of the contributions, in academia, the the job, uh, the, the contribution is primarily evaluated by the peers, which when I say peers is my the people from the same areas, like in the, in mm -hmm. academia. But in industry, our evaluation is assessed by our customers. Yes. If customers say our product is reliable with a low cost, they like it. But in academia, the evaluation criteria is more like a novelty of the theory, novelty of the, of the methodologies. Good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, in terms of the uh, um, in terms of the you know the visibility, uh, top journals. Again, the top journal is also defined by our peers ourselves. <laughs> we think this is a top journal. Uh, but in academia, but in industry, profitability and market share is the driving force of our product and design. Mm. Yes. And right. in particular, yeah, company will be out of business. Uh, if you publish a high-quality journal paper, but a company survives or thrives if the product is a low cost, high performance, lasts longer. Mm. Yeah. Finally, uh, the company is driven by stock pricing. If it's a public company, if the stock mm -hmm. price right. is going up, yes, we 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 think that our product is welcome by the market. But in academia. Our performance, more or less, is is measured by the number of citations. <laughs> yeah, I I think you're absolutely right, uh, Tongan. Yeah. I think uh, I think the uh, performance criteria or the performance goals are significantly different. I wonder um, if this means that uh, we can never, you know, bridge the gap between these two mm -hmm. worlds. Yeah, so that's why it. You, you probably will end up with two different, one person end up with two different results. So for example, let me mm -hmm. take an example myself. When I work in the industry, I, I'm, I handle multiple projects at the same time. Mm -hmm. And each project in general have a deadline, a very short deadline, in fact. Typically, the deadline is like a two weeks or even maximum like a one month. Mm -hmm. And those solutions must be implemented in the Excel solver, Excel or Excel solvers. And the result or the solution has to be mathematically uh, uh, understandable by the managers, by the department, uh, uh, by the engineers, as well as other like uh, customers as well. Mm -hmm. But in academia, I change my mindset. I make the problem. Sometimes we actually, sometimes we actually fabricate the problem. <laughs> 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 to, be, uh, to be honest, okay. Right. So, yes. Uh, so we fabricate the problems somehow because that will lead us to a more, uh, uh, you know, sophisticated mathematical derivations. I understand. Yes. Yeah, it's a which, like you said, a completely which, different world. Yeah, which is in fact is not needed from from industry point of view. Um, today, the industry actually can benefit a quite a lot from mm -hmm. the information technology and big data analytics because the faded data, for example, can be easily collected from the customer side using the web page, using the Excel's.
Sure. So many, quite, quite often, even if the, let's say the reliability at the very beginning may fall on one particular distribution, for example, Weibull, but imagine right. that the population of the product becomes larger, the, the fleet size becomes larger, quite often exponential distribution or, or normal distribution actually works because of large right. central limit theorems. Yes. Mm -hmm. But which, you know, this is a very, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, but this is a very difficult to be understand to be understood by the people who stay in the university for many many years because they emphasize yeah. one particular uh, distribution or on the lifetime uh, on the lifetime distribution and one particular. So 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 basically, the intention for the academia many often focus on one particular items or individual product, while industry, we are actually dealing with a large group of product. Yes, good point. So that's, what, point. that's why the approach should be very different. Mm -hmm. You know, well, I'm done. Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, in order to close the gap, I came up, uh, here are some suggestions, okay. Uh, first of all, I would like to say we should encourage students working in the companies as internship. Mm -hmm. So the reason yes. is because students can work as internship and then they can bring the real world problem from the industry and back to the supervisors. Yes. So in that way, the supervisor can broaden, uh, you know, the, the spectrums of the research uh, domains. Good. Uh, yeah, that's one suggestion. Another suggestion is. Um, industry may have to consider, relax the so-called confidentiality concern. Ah, yes. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That, is a, that is a concern for a lot of companies. You're right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, when I, was, when, I, when I was working in a company, whenever we want to come publish something, you know, in the, in, the, in the academia conference, it has to go through multiple, you know, processes. And sometimes uh, it kill, you know, maybe the paper will be killed at some levels. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, although those data are treated as nothing when you work in the company, but when the data was released outside the company, they cheat as gold. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. So from that point of view, I think the company may have to, you know, don't, yeah, so, 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 so lower the bars a little bit, particularly reliability data, for example. Reliability can be easily uh, normalized ah. by, yeah, by hiding the information. So you just, for example, the easiest way is you just remove the units. Right. So let's say if I publish the data from industry, it's a 1,000. People don't know it's a 1,000 hours MTBF, it's 1,000 weeks MTBF, it's 1,000 in a month MTBF. As long as the unit is not included, the data itself doesn't release any information in terms of the company point of view. I, I, I see. That, I see yeah. how that could work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah. so from that point of view, I think for our reliability data, we can easily publish to the academia world by hiding or whatever, remove, take the, uh, not take the number, just remove the units. Yes, that makes but, sense. But, yeah, but the patterns are still reserved. 
You see, even if we yes. have a student, but a graduate student. So that's, I think, it's very, I hope that can be a, one of the, you know, consider that approach in terms of uh, data confidentiality for our, you know, for, for the industries. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Another, maybe the last suggestion I would say, for the future reviewer, particular publications, a good journal should in, include more, uh, more like uh, invite more, uh, you know, uh, associate editors coming from the industry side. Ah, uh -huh. yes, that makes sense. So I give you example, like for example, IEEE transaction on reliability, which is a very high uh, prestigious journals. But if you look at the, uh, you know, the, the reviewers, uh, particularly the editors board, the majority of them coming from academia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so if if we can expand the pool uh, from from the industry side, I think that will significantly provide a new guideline or uh, directions for the academia professors and researchers. That's a great suggestion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I hope, Kim, I I give some uh, you know my personal experience and perspectives on 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 the questions that you raised for number one question. Okay. I think so. I think so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tom Don, um, I want to change uh, to a different topic. No trouble found or NTF is not really a failure mode, but it's often the most common cause of failure for many companies. Uh, what do you recommend to companies who are trying to reduce their failure costs but can't figure out what's going on? How can we improve our data collection about field failures? Well, thank you, Tim. Um, so let me move to the slide which shows the NOFAL fund. This is actually a very, uh, uh, very realistic problem, uh, you know, confronted by the new product introduction. Mm. And uh, if you look at the chart, uh, this is data I collected based on the field, uh, you know, uh, installations. After the new product is, is in, in, of course, the information is confidential because I provide a percentage instead of the absolute numbers. But sure, if I look sure. at the percentage, you can see no found basically represents 30% to 15% to of the entire failures. Wow. Yeah, uh, many people may think that hardware hardware failure dominate uh, the entire issues. In fact, hardware sometimes only like 25%. Like for example, mm. for the product B. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. So now let so let me back to the way to uh, how do we at least minimize or mitigate the no fund returns. Uh, well, uh, the no fund returns. Primary is is associated with the uh, with the customer side as well as the way how do we collect the data. Mm -hmm. um, depending on the product uh, lines, let's say if the, today many of the complicated particular electronics uh, equipment, they actually have uh, built-in diagnostic uh, programs. Yes, you're right. So, Mm -hmm. Those building diagnostic program is able to actually narrow down the failure, the root cause of the failures. And once yeah. the failure root cause is identified, the information actually is stored in the EPROM. Mm -hmm. But the customers, they know this feature in general. 
So many times they actually erase the information of the EEPROM. Uh -huh. Yeah, the reason is because one customer uses equipment to test their new their product. If the if the failed signature is released to the original equipment manufacturer, uh, their concern is their competitors is able to know what is their sure. next generation of their product. So that's the reason of uh, the gap. Why the original equipment manufacturer is not able to retrieve the information from the customer side. Right. So one yeah. way I think we actually did it pretty well when I was in the company is we actually uh, you know signed agreement with the customer ah. saying that if we yes if we if you maintain if you keep the fairy signature and we are able to retrieve it we will not release to anywhere else anywhere else ah good good within the repair center yes mm -hmm. that's uh, a great suggestion. Yeah, that's good. Um, this so for this type of no for fund, we are eventually able to uh, you know to eliminate it because we are able to chase the customers' uh, failed signatures. Right. Now there's another type of product which may or may not be able to um, record the failed signature at the customer side, mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. like early designs. Yes. For this type of product. It is it is it is not easy in terms of eliminating the uh, no for found. Yes. Uh, so what we can do is again depends on the scale of the company. Uh, for capital equipment companies, usually they have two type of uh, service support. Mm -hmm. One is they have their own service engineers, which is deployed in a particular region. Right, and that region actually take care of multiple customers. Yes. So what? So if that is a deployment approach, I would study. I would say we can we can we can let the service engineer work with the customer for a certain time period, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the service engineer is able to monitor whether the usage of the system at the custom side is significantly different from the manufacturer, the OEM's uh, manufacturer. Ah, I see, I see. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, been, it's been my experience as service engineers um, are much more concerned with helping to bring the product back into service instead mm -hmm. of really collecting a lot of data that can help with failure analysis. That's a very good uh, actually observation. Is the reason because we do not give the bonus to the service engineer say if you collect the failure signature, I give ah, you additional increase. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah. No, you're right, absolutely right. right. Yeah. Because they are, they are measured. They are, well, you know, each person, each employee in the company in general have have the have the measurement the matrix. So you are absolutely mm -hmm. right. For the service engineer, their primary matrix is how long it takes for the service engineer to bring the system back to the operation. Of course, yes, exactly. the, downtime, the shorter the downtime, the better the performance of the service engineer. <laughs> exactly right, exactly right, yeah. yes. So now for the no-fault found issues, so we, sh we can easily expand the measurement of the service engineer, as a performance measure of service engineer by adding, if you are able to bring the 
or provided a signature or whatever the uh, related information, that's additional bonus. I think that way that can be easy to fix this. Uh, so this problem, particularly, especially during the introduction on the new product. Good point. Mm -hmm. Uh, another approach I, I think the customer is uh, we can invite sometimes you know particularly for strategic customers uh, the original equipment I call the OEM OEM yes. and the strategic customer have a lot of interactions um, many many quite often OEM engineer visit the customer and then actually the customer also visit the OEM as well yes so the second approach is when the customer visits the OEM, we actually can invite the customer engineer, the engineer from the customer side, to work to work with our engineer, the OEM, see how the system is operated, is it right? Yes. And then we can inquire the customer: Do you operate the system in a similar way as we did here? If the answer is no, then we we are able to find the gap. Why you know this may be the root cause why it generated no for fun at the customer side. Yeah. Once again, I, I think the potentially the problem will be getting the customer to uh, agree to participate in this process. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. So so the so to make this so make this so summarize this equation. Uh, this problem is. For no fault issues, we uh, OEM in general needed the cooperation from the customer side. Sure. Otherwise, um, this issue will continue to persist um, 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 for, uh, forever. Even the product agree. become very mature. Yeah, but it won't disappear. I agree. I agree. But in order for in order to bring the customer into the participation. Uh, we needed to provide some incentives. Otherwise, yes. um, it's very hard. Yes. So for, so, for example, one of the incentives came to my mind is, uh, what I understand is, depending on the com company policy, actually, the company I used to work with, actually, they charge customer no for fund as a failure. Mm. So, so basically, customers have to pay, uh, you know, still buy a new spare parts. But ah. what if customer participate as a new for fund, you know, root cause analysis? Is this replacement considered as a free replacement, or kind ah. of like the, the cost can be discounted, fifty percent, for example? Interesting. Yes. 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 Okay. John, okay. are, are there any companies or industries that you think are being, doing a particularly good job of collecting this kind of information? I, I don't want you to give away any uh, confidential information here, but I'm just wondering uh, if there are some industries or, or companies that we can learn from. Uh, what I understand is, yes, depend on the uh, you know the customers of the of the company if the, mm. if the customer if let's say if the product is associated with the risk of the human uh, lives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the company in general is very serious about the failure data yes so a good example is Royce Lloyd. Uh, you know it's a, maybe one of the largest uh, engine um, manufacturer for aircraft yes uh, Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So they are they did a very good job. They are doing a very good job, and you know our engines. Uh, so they put a lot of sensors, you know, to collect the status of the engine's conditions. And now I'm what I understand is based on the literature is. Of course, uh, their progress is uh, confidentially because that's competition. But what I understand from the literature is they are actually now moving pretty well from the regular, it's called uh, time-based maintenance toward condition-based maintenance. Ah, interesting. So, yeah, so, yeah, so the major difference between time-based and condition-based maintenance is in the condition-based maintenance, you collect the real-time data from the engine, and then sure. the maintenance is needed only if you think that the engine is entering the critical status. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Why in the traditional time-based maintenance, you we may end up with over-maintenance or under-maintenance. Yes. Over-maintenance is the engine is too good, but you have to put, we spend money and our labors on the maintenance, which is not necessary. Or under-maintenance, which means the engine is already in a critical situation, but, but we still don't do it. So, yeah, so that's a trend. It's a condition-based maintenance. I think Royce Roy did a good job. But I'm pretty sure that I can imagine that he's, uh, the compa their competitors like, uh, you know, GEs or other manu uh, engine manufacturers, they should do, uh, they, they probably, they, in general, they are following the same path, I believe. I see. Yeah. In terms of uh, consumer electronics, I would say Apple is doing a good job. Ah, okay. Apple. Well, the reason because I have a friend, actually, of course I cannot mention the name. He actually right. <laughs> works in the uh, yeah. He actually works as a reliability engineer uh, in Apple uh, in California. Mm -hmm. And they, he, recently, he asked me for a help. Uh, say where he wants some uh, you know reliability models to predict the lifetime of the of the cellular phones. What if yes. telephone jobs regularly on the ground? Uh -huh. It's kind of like a, a shock testing. Yes. So, so based on this activity, I know that Apple pay a lot of attention to their product reliability, particularly for the failures. What if the product jobs on the ground multiple times during its useful lifetime? You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I think this is a problem a lot of companies and a lot of reliability engineers are trying to deal with. Um, there's always sort of a trade-off between reliability concerns and time to market. Do you have any advice for reliability engineers who are trying to help their companies make better decisions in this area? Um, that's, uh, yeah, but this is, a, this is always, the, uh, you know, the challenge for uh, uh, electronics equipment mm -hmm. and consumer mm -hmm. electronics. Okay, um, I came I came up with some suggestions. Maybe it can be referred. I would say if there's only one choice between time to market and the reliability, yes. I would say go for go for time to market. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of a surprising kind of a surprising yeah. answer, I guess. <laughs> yes. But uh, here is uh, a plan that a reliability engineer should uh, uh, come up and submit a report to the manager if mm -hmm. she can, if he or she can. Yeah. Uh, you know, based on the existing reliability performance of the product, 
the reliability engineer is able to come up with a cost matrix. Yes. So, so, so let's so take example. Let's say if the product is shipped t tomorrow, and the reliability, yes. let's say MTDF is 100 hours, for example. I think the reliability engineer can easily came up a cost measure saying that if you keep shipping this product, what is the cost associated with the maintenance? What is ah, the cost yes. associated with warranty? Mm -hmm. Now those are, those are hard costs. We call it hard money. At the same yes. time, the reliability engineer is able to come up with a soft cost. So soft cost of the money is associated with customer dissatisfaction. Yes. Although it's very difficult to estimate, but I think the reliability engineer should bring this topic as well to the management and also make a good prediction. If you keep shipping this low reliability product, what's the probability that customer will turn to your, buy the product from your competitors in the next one year, next two years? So, so basically, uh, your your suggestion is to put everything on a uh, dollar basis, you know, so that uh, everyone can understand the costs of different of uh, different actions, different different options. Yes, the reason is because reliability many times uh, involves two types of costs, and uh, mm -hmm. it's quite often that the hard the hard cost and the soft cost are always are difficult to estimate. Yes, of course. And, and in today, plus, in today's reliability training, particularly in university and academia training, we do not put a lot of emphasis on how do you predict the cost based on the current reliability performance versus what is the reliability improved, what is the benefit you bring. We, we actually, this actually is a, is a gap as well in terms of academia trainings. But I think it's very important. It's very important yes. because, um, and, by, yes, you're right. By bring, by conversion, by converting the risk into the dollar amount. Yes, it, it's a good. I think it's a very uh, uh, indicators in terms of the uh, let the management to make a decision. Tom Don, I have one more question for you. I know you've spent a lot of time looking at reliability in supply chains, and. Uh, you know, today companies have to pay attention to uh, not just their suppliers, but maybe their the suppliers of their suppliers. Uh, how can companies ensure that everyone has the same priorities regarding reliability throughout the supply chain? Yeah, uh, this is a very practical issue because if you look at today's manufacturing uh, companies, it's not like everything made by in-house. Quite often, That's right. the, the original equipment may be only make like 50% or even 30% of the components or the software, while the rest of the components of software or even the assembly is done by, by his or her subcontractors. Or yes, even subcontractors, exactly. subcontractors, yes. Well, uh, in general, here I think, Tim, I can only focus on one level contractor, which means, let's say, mm -hmm. if I'm an OEM, how can I deal with the reliability with uh, with the subcontractors. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the recommendations I did is let's take an example of the product. Each product can be break down into a subsystem, yes. and each subsystem can be break down into uh, a broken uh, can be broken into uh, multiple components. 
or softwares. Okay, to the product. Yeah. So when a new product is uh, is under development, quite often we set up a target on the system level reliability, like MTBF. And then in order to meet the system level reliability, we actually also set up a target for the subsystem level or even component level reliability requirement. Yes. So the way how to deal with the subcontract is I call it a reliability assignment. Uh -huh. uh, so the way it works like this, for example, if, if component A is made by in-house, and if the reliability target is, let's say, 1,000 hours, so this is the reliability responsibility for the component A. And whoever in charge of management, design of a component A, should always take the responsibility of 1,000 hours. Interesting. Meaning, okay. meaning, meaning if the reliability is down below 1,000 hours, you have to take some action, some actions anyway. Ah, okay. Okay. Now, this, and this methodology can be easily extended to the subcontract. Let's say component B we purchased from subcontract. At the time that we purchased the component from subcontract, Reliability should be one of the uh, negotiation uh, items. Yes. Meaning component B's reliability must be maintained, let's say, 2,000 hours, for example. So this, this becomes part of a contractual obligation from the supplier. Uh, at least from my perspective, in terms of how do we uh, you know, um, uh, handle the reliability of subcontract components given such a complex uh, supply chain network in today's world. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Now, when the component A and the component B are installed into our product and it's used by the customer for yeah. a certain time period, based on a few data, if component A exceeded 1,000 hours and component B exceeded 2,000 hours, we are all happy. We are all happy. Yes, right. But, uh, but what if component B jobs and less than, let's say, 500 hours, we should absolutely outreach to our supplier and say, hey, this is a fact, and you should take some action items to yes. improve the reliabilities. Okay. So I think that works pretty well based on my experience. So basically the way that I don't know the, a good name for it, I call it reliability responsibility or assignment. So basically each mm -hmm. person, each manager take care of his own components. It's like a baby. As long as your baby is healthy, the entire family is healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it, it works pretty well. Uh, another reason it works well is because you can easily use component A as a role model and against mm -hmm. the component B, which is performed very badly. Yes. Yes, I see what you uh, mean. Yeah. So, but 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 the challenge here, Tim, is at the time that you negotiate with internal uh, manager component, yes. man, and all the external manager, we have to define the usage as well as the application environment. Agree. Yes, I can see how. Um, there could be some objection to a reliability target if there's not mm -hmm. a good understanding of how the component will be used in the field. Yeah. 
so so the so so the so a good experienced reliability engineer will not negotiate by one one particular number. Rather, he or she will negotiate by providing a, a more detailed application environment. For example, for electronics, you have durating level, percentage durating yes. level, as well as the operating environment. For example, temperature is a, is a very mm -hmm. important parameter. Again, humidity is also a very important parameter. So basically, you, we have to define those op, uh, parameters, operating environment conditions, carefully, and then come up a reasonable reliability performance target, which can be accepted by either internal manager or the external supply managers. Good, good. Okay. Mm -hmm. John, uh, another, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so let, so let me finish uh, one last. Another important point is this reliability target should also be defined over time because most of the product actually degradate over time. Yes. So, so the target should be set like within for the next five years or the next 10 years. So this is another question. Um, should it be considered into the negotiation tables on the negotiation Certainly. Table? Certainly, yeah. I agree. Tong okay. Don, thank I, you yeah. so much for your insights. Oh, thank you, Tim, and uh, for uh, you know raising so many uh, interesting questions and allow me to uh, you know share my uh, you know experience. Although it's my personal, but I hope <laughs> it can provide some uh, help for the industry academia. I'm sure of it. That was Tung Tan Jin, associate professor of engineering at the Ingram School at Texas State University. For more information about his research and work at Texas State, please take a look at the website that you see on the screen. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks for joining us. Thank you again, Tim and Fred. Bye.